hate to do this to you, but I'm going to Help us to know you better. Help us to just bow before you in thanksgiving for the such a great salvation. Lord, when we sing these songs, it just it just reminds us all, I think, of where we were and how you called us out of darkness and how grateful we are that we belong to you, Lord, and that we're not a part of the world anymore. Pray that you would help us to understand your word, that it would become clearer to us and that it would be embedded in our heart and that it would lead us in the the right pathway. And we ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Start off with one scripture out of 1 Peter 4.16. And Peter wrote, If you suffer as a Christian... Do not be ashamed, but praise God that you bear his name. So if you suffer as a Christian, don't be ashamed. Well, whatever. Chapter 11 of Hebrews tells us, about many Old Testament people who believed the promises of God and of the great reward that was waiting for them when they died. And the constant throughout chapter 11 are the words, by faith. And then the list of names of those who by faith have trusted God. Verse 16 in chapter 11 says therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God for he has prepared a city for them then we get to the first two verses of chapter 12 in Hebrews and they read therefore since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us Let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand 
of the throne of God. Despising the shame. Jesus was willing to bear the the shame associated with a criminal's death. Why? Why was he willing to bear it? For the joy set before him. Jesus endured the shame in anticipation of being the savior of his people when the suffering was over. That's why he was not ashamed. And that's why he looked at the joy that was coming because he was going to be the savior of his people. We're going to see a lot of things with the word shame and ashamed in scripture. It's just constant, but it's sort of in the background a lot of times and we don't look at it. In Western society today, the cross is a symbol you see everywhere. In fact, a lot of people that wear the cross, they just wear it as a piece of jewelry. It has no significant meaning to them whatsoever. It's, it's just another piece in the jewelry box. <clears throat> but originally, the cross was one of the most despised symbols imaginable. In the earliest days of the church, the cross was viewed by most people as an instrument of torture and death. It was a symbol associated with shame. Crucifixion was clearly understood to be the cruelest and most dishonorable form of death imaginable. It was so shameful, it was so shameful a form of execution that a Roman citizen could never be put on a cross. It was illegal to crucify a Roman citizen. And in addition, the Jews believed that everyone who is hanged on a tree is cursed by God. It comes out of the Old Testament. Anybody that's hanged on a tree is cursed by God. And in a way, that's exactly what happened. Jesus bore the curse of God hanging on the cross. So the concept of a perfect God dying a death like this was beyond understanding to a lot of people. It couldn't happen. It just defies imagination. A God could, your God, any God, could not die on a cross because it's a shameful, cursed death. This is what a few historians, early historians, had to say. One said, the offense of the cross was frequently described by the Greek word mania. And mania means madness. It was common for people to consider Christians mad for believing that God could actually be nailed to a cross. One early historian, Plinius Secundus, obviously Roman, called the preaching of the cross a perverse and extravagant superstition and said Christians suffered from a mental disorder. 
Another Roman historian said Christians suffered from sick delusions and senseless and crazy superstition. And on and on it goes from a lot of people from that era. We may not understand the mentality they had about the preaching of the cross, but the apostles Paul understood it. And even though he knew that people regarded the idea that God would die on a cross as shameful, he not only preached it, but he says he gloried in it. Galatians 6.14 reads like this in the J.B. Phillips translation. Yet God forbid that I should boast about anything or anybody except the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, which means the world is a dead thing to me, and I am a dead man to the world. God has taken a truly vile symbol, a cross, and turned it into something wonderful, a wonderful token of victory. And only God could do something like this. God obviously makes no mistake. The crucifixion of Jesus was truly a shameful event. It was at the cross where our sins were dumped on Jesus. It was at the cross where he became sin for us. That's where death, hell, and the grave were all defeated. No one in history has experienced a more unjust shaming than Jesus did. The only perfect man that ever lived had nothing to be ashamed of but his perfect righteousness sparked us such a deep-seated hatred from the people, from the leaders, that this is what they did to him. He was despised and rejected of men, Isaiah said, and they poured shame on Jesus. His public arrest, his public trial, his condemnation, his being stripped and flogged, his being spat on and mocked, led through the streets publicly of Jerusalem, being crucified outside the city gates in full view of everyone. All this was designed for maximum shame. This is what Jesus bore. Yet Jesus considered the public shame to be of no consequence to the surpassing glory he was bringing to his Father by his atoning work and the eternal joy that he was bringing to his sheep by dying for them. The greatest shame you can imagine, and yet Jesus says, compared to the surpassing joy that I have for what I'm going to be doing, bringing many people to know me. The shame is nothing. So what about this word shame? In the Old Testament, the uh, underlying thought is one of failure of some sort that leads to disgrace, to public exposure. 
In the New Testament, the focus on is on a feeling of shame that might come with the exposure of your deeds to everybody around you. There's also an issue of being ashamed of Christ and, and his excuse me, I lost my place here. There's also in this an issue of being ashamed of Christ and his word and who he is in a sinful and adulterous generation. This is shame in the form of ridicule by others. It's important to do right, but it's also important to take pride in doing right. Not just doing right because the word says so. It needs to be an attitude of the heart that you're doing right because it brings glory to God. You're not relying on the approval of other people. Shame is a feeling of having lost the respect of others because of improper behavior. And it brings a sense of dishonor and disgrace. Personal shame comes because of unworthy conduct. The first mention of shame in Scripture comes from the early chapters of Genesis. And actually, it celebrates the absence of shame. Adam and Eve were naked and felt no shame. And then if you go to the last part of the Bible in the book of Revelation, it says, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven. That's what it talks about. There will be no shame there because Revelation twenty one twenty seven says, and nothing unclean and no one who practices abomination and lying shall ever come into it, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So you've got shame bookended. The first part of Scripture and the last part of Scripture. This is a place where the redeemed from every nation in the New Jerusalem are going to celebrate their eternal cleansing from shame. And in between the first of Genesis and the last of Revelation, Unfortunately, shame abounds. And it's always been that way in human history. There's another kind of nakedness that Adam and Eve had other than a lack of clothing. And it was a nakedness of spirit, of soul, which meant that they were not marred by any corruption or dishonesty. It's the kind of nakedness that we now would probably call something like transparency or innocence where there's no shame. So not only did they not have physical shame, they had no internal shame. Shame comes into the picture because the nakedness, the transparency... The innocence between God and man and the innocence between man and woman became shattered. They became 
naked, and they became afraid, and they hid from God. They're ashamed. What's the difference between shame and guilt? One man says, guilt says I've done something wrong. Shame says there's something wrong with me. Guilt is a feeling. Shame is much more than a feeling. We see both shame and guilt in the fall. God points out that Adam and Eve have done something wrong. And Adam and Eve are consumed with shame. How do we know they're consumed with shame? Because they hid. They tried to hide from God. Why else would they hide unless they were ashamed? One element of shame is embarrassment. And all of us know that we did something that caused us embarrassment. We've all felt shame. I don't, well, I don't have to think. I know that there's no one that has not felt shame. Probably at multiple times. It's an ongoing thing, sadly. Looking at scripture, and we look at our lives honestly, it's easy to see that sin always has a companion. Adam and Eve hid because they were ashamed. Where sin exists, shame exists too. They go together. They always have. Mark Twain said, Man is the only animal that blushes. Or needs to. From all I can tell from observation, cows and pigs don't blush. (laughs) Just because, well, that seems obvious to everybody. But man is, or in the words of the Heidelberg Catechism says man was created in true righteousness and holiness. And what this does is echo scripture where it says God created man and pronounced it very good. So they're just repeating in other words what scripture says. Adam was perfectly safe around God because he was like God. Shame was completely foreign to Adam. It was foreign to his makeup. Everything that could be known about Adam and Eve was on full display. And they were unafraid. They were unashamed. Sin changed everything. (coughs) Delight was replaced with dread. Not because God had changed, obviously, but because they had. They had invited sin in, and they didn't know that death came with it. It was a pair. One doesn't come without the other. And meanwhile, the cows keep chewing their cud, and the pigs keep wallowing in the mire, oblivious to their nakedness. They don't feel shame because they are not the masterpiece of God. 
only moral agents created to reflect God's character are capable of knowing the tragedy of what was lost. And we know what was lost. And we shan't, we're ashamed. Not much has been changed over the centuries, over the generations, for either cows or pigs, or for us, as we continue to be plagued with shame. Inside us, our consciousness accuse and our thoughts conflict us. Scripture says Christ will judge the secrets of men. Shame tells us that our consciousness are right. Our conscience is right. It's the unshakable, eternal, internal testimony that we don't measure up and the fear that others may discover that we don't measure up to. We want to hide it. We're ashamed. Shame can be either devastating or it can be healthy. There seem to be three options to deal with our experience, especially for a Christian, well for everyone. And out of these three options, two of them are bogus, two of them are false. One, we can try to hide from God and others in fear like Adam and Eve did, living with the internal awareness that we could be exposed at any moment. And that option doesn't work because shame, it needs to be removed, not hidden. The second option is we can seek to avoid our sense of shame. We can talk ourselves out of feeling shame by making excuses or by shifting the blame to somebody else. There is a thing, of course, called false shame. Where we don't measure up because we don't make enough money, we don't have the right job, we don't know the right people. These are, are values that are not biblical. <clears throat> That's false shame because it's based on a false standard. But when it comes to God's standard, there's no use in denying personal responsibility. Trying to do that is like sewing fig leaves onto a rotten garment. It won't work. This option doesn't work because shame needs to be removed, not avoided. The last one is the only real option for us, for Christian. And it's to acknowledge what is shameful inside of us in the safety of knowing of the promised grace of God. God promises that we come to him, he washes us clean. Shame is an internal witness that sin has corrupted us so thoroughly that only God could possibly set things right. And that he's promised to do. God who is perfect in holiness says in Psalm 51.17 that he will not despise a broken and a contrite heart. No other creature feels shame because no other creature was meant to share the character of the creator. Mm -hmm. 
Shame is a privilege. Strange enough. We need to remember that the next time we experience it, it shows that God values us enough to call us to the righteousness that only he can provide. That's why it's valuable. Because shame causes us to come to God as the only way to remove the shame. Lord, all these things that seem on the surface to be a horror to us are valuable if if we know that the only solution is you if we know the only way of forgiveness is you Lord, our works won't do it our Resolutions won't do it. Nothing, Lord, will make us clean. Nothing will remove the shame except Jesus. So, Lord, we come to you and we ask you, Lord, wash us clean. Lord, we bow before you and we pray that Jesus would be exalted in our lives and that the shame that comes with sin would be washed away. In your name. Amen.